We continue our look at your total health. Up next is men's health. We're joined in the studio now by Dr. Jerry Talbert. He practices family medicine at the Christ Hospital. We're also joined by Dr. Abby Sedana. He's a clinical instructor in the urology division in the Department of Surgery at the UC College of Medicine. It's our pleasure to welcome you doctors to Sunday Morning Magazine. Good morning. Hello. Hello. First of all, let me ask you this. Why is it so difficult to get us men to go to the doctor and myself included? You know, years ago when I first got married, my wife was highly upset with me. (laughs) Um, She was like, we're paying all this health insurance and you won't even go to the doctor. And now I go once a year. So, uh, <laughs> so, so women and mothers often do drive the health decision making in families. So that's a very good point. Uh, guys, j- women have similar hangups. Think about the, the kinds of visits they have to go through. Uh, so there's a lot of misinformation about what you go through in a doctor's visit. You remember as a kid getting your shots and having all these big, tall, scary people. So there's, there's a lot of that. There's also this idea that if you go to the doctor, something's wrong and admitting that something's wrong, that's tricky. I mean, that's, it's, that's one of the hardest things that human beings do. Let's talk about this, the male ego and the male, the whole stress of being a man. Does that play a part in a man's overall health, do you guys think? For sure. There's a lot of body systems that are going to be affected by stress. You have the heart and the brain that are taking the brunt of a lot of the biochemicals that are produced when you have a stress response. And that's a big deal. It does weigh heavily on things. It's not as impactful as we used to think or that we give it credit for sometimes, but it is definitely a huge part of what we do. Mental health is, is incredibly important. Okay. Yeah, stress plays a, an important role in all the organ system, be it heart, be it mental health, be it any other organ system of the body, and, you know, like even GI. So if you are more stressed, then definitely that's going to negatively impact your all other functioning of the organ systems. Now I'm going to mention the following, and tell us what men should know here. Um, we're going to talk about diabetes, stroke, and high blood pressure. Let's break this down and start with diabetes. What should men know there, guys? The most important thing is you have a lot of control over what happens in terms of your blood sugar. There are genetic predispositions to developing diabetes for sure, but your diet and your physical activity are going to be hugely impactful when it comes to determining how your body regulates blood sugar. When we talk about diabetes, we have type 1 diabetes, which is most people think about young kids getting that. That's where your body stops making insulin. When we talk about type 2 diabetes, though, that is your body just stopping paying attention to the insulin. You make it, but it doesn't work the right way. Uh, So there are things that lead to that, and the most common things are going to be taking in a whole lot of extra carbohydrate that you don't need. So sugary foods, that's not just the candies, cakes, cookies, and pies. That's also pasta and bread and white rice and those kinds of foods. The good stuff. The good stuff. The <laughs> stuff that everybody likes to eat. Exactly. Um, and, and we are wired to eat that stuff. Our brains are are wired to give us pleasure when we eat those foods. Uh, so we have to make sure that we don't just let that desire to, ha- to feel good kind of drive how we eat. Because one of the things, and, and culturally, uh, we can all speak to this. You know how many different things that we do uh, as families, as 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 groups involve food. Involve food exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so we have to be very careful with with how we put so much uh, strength in that food and and give it power over us. In some cases, you know when we we really need to be controlling how we take that in. Okay, I, I completely agree. Uh, I agree with him that type one diabetes probably you don't you can't have that much control, but type two diabetes, which is more common in older population. I, I think a lot can be changed by just self-control. Uh, let me give you an example. My dad is a physician, 
and he got diagnosed with diabetes a couple of years ago. He has genetic predisposition. His numbers are off the roof. When he got these numbers, he made sure he's like exercising afterwards, like he controlled his diet, and now he's able to control his sugar without any medication, just by diet and exercise. So it's doable. It's tough, and it may not be possible in every scenario, but you can definitely control diabetes to some degree by exercise and diet. Okay, so let's talk about stroke and high blood pressure. They're related. Let's talk about it. So high blood pressure, when we talk about blood pressure, we usually... And let's talk about what men should know yep. here. And that's, and yeah, and specifically for men who are more predisposed to high blood pressure in most cases. Um, it's coming from the pressure inside the, the vascular system, the blood vessels in the heart, when your heart beats, when it squeezes. So if you think about it kind of like a hydraulic system uh, for, for men, there's your, there's your <laughs> manly uh, analogy. analogy there. If you think about it like a hydraulic system, it's a closed system. And so when you increase pressure in one spot, it increases pressure across the whole system. When we're talking about big blood vessels like the the main vessels of the heart, that's not as much of a, a big deal. It is important. But when you start talking about tiny, tiny blood vessels like the ones that feed the heart or the ones in, that feed the brain, it doesn't take much pressure for those to have blowouts. And those are what we call hemorrhagic strokes. You can also, through uh, changes in the blood vessels because of, of inflammation and, and irritation and lots of uh, cholesterol depositing in the walls, you can make them weak. And when that blood vessel kind of uh, gets blocked off because of all of the changes that don't let it change when pressure increases, uh, the blood flow to the brain gets cut off. That's what we call a stroke. And so high blood pressure can impact strokes. Like you said, they're tied together. But in terms of high blood pressure itself for men, the biggest thing by far is making sure that you're having it checked out. Uh, you said you're going to the doctor once a year at this point. Yeah. It's non-invasive for us to check blood pressure. We don't have to stick metal objects inside you. We don't have to draw blood. We can just put a little plastic cuff on your arm and actually measure that. It's one of the few markers of health that we don't have to do a whole lot to get a hold of, right? So encouraging guys just to get their blood pressure checked is going to be huge because if we can catch it early, then we can make changes that are, that are going to impact you long term. It takes 10 years for high blood pressure or longer sometimes for high blood pressure to really cause significant problems. It can cause problems very quickly. But a lot of folks, if it's just a little bit high, they won't know until it's too late. And in case you're just tuning in, it's all about your health this morning. It's your total health edition of Sunday Morning Magazine. We've broken this down into three segments. We're talking about men's health, women's health, and children's health. Right now, we're talking about men's health with Dr. Avi Sadana. He is a clinical instructor in the urology division in the Department of Surgery at the UC College of Medicine. We're also talking to Dr. Jerry Tolbert. He practices family medicine at the Christ Hospital. For more information on your health, go to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now and like us there now. We'll have additional information and resources there. Now, Dr. Sadana, explain to us why routine screenings are so important for men. So screenings are really important. Uh, I think if we follow a certain pattern of preventive screening, we could save a lot of lives and we could avoid healthcare costs and we can avoid a lot of morbidity. So for example, I'll give you an example of prostate cancer. We, we, we can get the screening done by a simple blood test. While if the cancer doesn't get diagnosed in a timely fashion, it can present in an advanced stage, which will cause a lot of morbidity, pain to the patients, and even sometimes death. So that's why, for this is just an example, and screening can prevent that from happening. And similarly, screening for hypertension, screening for diabetes, screening for other things 
can prevent the manifestation of that disease in late stages. And that's why it's uh, important. So, doctors, let's talk about heart disease. We know this is a uh, number one killer, right? Uh, when we talk about men, let's talk about heart disease and what men listening, what they need to know. There are several things that we've already talked about that are going to impact heart disease. Diabetes, high blood pressure, both are, are high level risks for heart disease overall. The add on of cholesterol, if you're talking about the routine things that we're going to screen, you put those three together and those are the big things that you can influence as a, as a patient. And so for men especially, those are the big three you want to focus on, making sure that you're having your routine screenings for blood sugar, your routine screenings for blood pressure, and your routine screenings for cholesterol. Uh, the heart disease as a killer takes many forms. It's not just heart attacks that can cause those problems. You have heart failure issues and other uh, disease processes that can be a big deal. And they're all influenced by, not the only influence, but they're all influenced by your physical activity and your dietary intake. We keep coming back to that stuff, but it is hugely important. And then if you do have a problem, if you do find that your cholesterol is elevated or your blood pressure is elevated, doing something about it, whether that's intervening with dietary and exercise changes, which everybody needs to do, or taking medicine, which is also a hard bill sometimes to get men to take medicines. Uh, I could do this myself. I don't need something else to help me, right? Well, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes there are factors beyond our control that the medicines at least give us a, a leg up to help while we're trying to figure out the rest of it. Okay. And so, doctors, let's talk about risk factors and symptoms. When we talk about risk factors for heart disease and symptoms, what, what, what are we looking at, doctors? So the most important thing, uh, it's your genetics. And genetics do contribute a lot to the heart disease. But you cannot change your genetics. You're born with a set of genes. But there are things which you can change, which will lower your risk. Like, as I agree with Dr. Tall, but diet and exercise. If you can exercise cardio three times a week, 30 minutes, then that will lower your risk significantly. Manage your weight. Obese people are at higher risk of heart disease. That's really important, managing your weight. And in terms of diet, now the, the more recent research has shown that having higher carbohydrate intake increases your risk of heart disease and increases your risk of having higher cholesterol. So these are some easy things which we can do to decrease our risk. And these are actually the risk factors of heart disease. And it's not just weight that's the issue. You can have folks that are overweight that are not having problems with their cholesterol or their blood sugar or their, or their blood pressure. But the same behaviors that lead to you being overweight are the same risk factors that are going to lead to you having those other risks in terms of your blood sugar being high, your blood pressure being high. Okay. And let's talk about symptoms as well. The, the biggest symptoms when we talk about heart symptoms. Chest pain is the number one thing that people think about, but increasing shortness of breath. If you get to the point where you could normally walk up three flights of stairs and now you're only walking up one flight of stairs or five stairs before you get short of breath, that's a big deal. That needs to be examined. If you have a problem with chest pain that comes on and stays on, those are things that need to be examined. You can't tell the difference sometimes between indigestion and reflux and heart pain because they're carried on similar nerves in terms of how the brain gets the signals for that pain. So it's important to have that at least evaluated by a physician. Okay. Um, let's talk about this, um, Dr. Sedana. Should every man see a urologist? At age of 50, most men should at least go to their family physician and get some of the screening done for urological problems. But not every man has to see a urologist unless he had issues or if his screening is abnormal. And by screening, I mean PSA testing. Uh, there have been... PSA is a blood test which tells us the risk of prostate cancer. 
some communities that are higher risk, Afro-Americans are at higher risk, people who have family history of prostate cancer are at higher risk. So especially those groups should go to the, the family physician and ask for a PSA test at age of 55 or even earlier, depending upon how high risk they are. And if there's some abnormality or if they have symptoms, if they have issues with urinating, if they have to get up at night too often to pee, or during the day if they go to the bathroom too often, then probably they should approach a urologist. So what are the uh, recommended screenings in terms of prostate cancer? Um, what are we looking at here, doctors? So there, there has been a lot of controversy. Some people say screen, others say don't screen. And the reason the controversy is, unlike pancreatic cancer, unlike colorectal cancer, there has been concern that when we treat patients for prostate cancer, we are probably not helping them. We, we are over-treating a lot of patients which have low-risk disease and probably would not have ever had any issue with their prostate cancer. They would have lived with it. It's, yeah, exactly. It's often said that men die with prostate cancer, not from prostate cancer, meaning that almost all men, if they live long enough, are going to develop some level of prostate cancer. They're usually small, self-contained. They don't cause a lot of, of diffuse disease. They don't, they don't go out to the rest of the body. But there can be aggressive cancers at any age that will do that. And, and it's hard sometimes to differentiate between the two just based on a single screening test. Yeah. That's why seeing the urologist after you get the screening test is a big deal. And I think it's a wrong approach to not get screening tests worried that you'll overtreat these patients because if you close your eyes, you're not going to find the aggressive patients, aggressive disease patients whose life you can save by treating early. So it's important to get the screening test. And then now there are newer tests, something called multi-parametric MRI of prostate. So those newer tests selectively picks aggressive cancer so that you're not worried about treating a low-risk disease. You pick up an aggressive cancer and you treat it. So you save lives and you're not worried about over-treating these patients. Okay, so doctors, I want to go back. You talked about screening, but what does screening look like? You talked about the PSA test, but I know, um, being a male, I know there are other ways to screen as well. Well, in my mind, uh, let's talk about that. So classically, the thing that every man was afraid of, and the reason why a lot of men don't go to the doctor, is the digital rectal exam. We call it a DRE to make it sound less uh, mm-hmm. aggressive, if you will. Yeah, it doesn't help. Yeah, nobody, <laughs> nobody, wants, nobody wants to talk about it. But the real answer to your question is, that has sort of, the best word is fallen out of favor as a screening test. The the prostate, as far as its anatomy, is is a lot more complex than what we can actually just reach with a finger. It doesn't mean that it's not a good test to give us information, but the amount of information that it gives us is far less than the blood tests that we talk about in terms of the PSA. So in order to kind of streamline the process a little bit, in order to decrease the number of, of folks that are not getting any screening at all, that part of screening has become less prominent. There are a lot of physicians that may still do it. And if you have a problem that requires uh, a rectal exam to look for bleeding or to look for other issues, that's a different beast than if, than if we're talking about prostate cancer screening. So, so there are still reasons to do that digital rectal exam, but specifically for prostate cancer screening, it is no longer currently a recommendation. So in terms of prostate cancer, what does treatment look like for men? Prostate cancer is a really exciting field, especially with new changes over the last decade. Uh, traditionally, we were treating prostate cancer regardless of the aggressiveness of the disease with either the surgery or radiation. The surgery and radiation would treat the entire prostate because we didn't know exactly where the cancer was. 
But over the last 10 years, we have found ways to pinpoint the cancer in the prostate using prostate MRI. And now we can specifically treat just the area of the cancer. Again, it's an upcoming treatment modality. We don't have a long-term experience with this, but at least it saves patients from having a bad complications from surgery and radiation of the entire prostate. We can just treat the area of cancer and leave the prostate alone. All right, good. So let's talk about um, testicular cancer. Um, who's at risk and what do men need to know here? The, the issue with testicular cancer is it impacts young males. It impacts males in 20s and 30s, and it can spread to the rest of your body and can potentially be lethal. But the good part about testicular cancer is the chemotherapy for this cancer is very, very effective. It essentially melts away the tumor. That's the term we use in our textbooks. It melts away the tumor. It's very effective. And that's why it results in long remissions and potentially cure of the patients even in advanced stages, which is uncommon in other cancers. But for testicular cancer, uh, the men should self-examine their testes. And if they notice any lump, they should not take it lightly. It's not a cancer which should be taken lightly. And if they notice a lump, they should follow it up with their family physician and potentially make an appointment with a urologist. Right now, I'm going to mention a few age groups. In terms of men's health, what should gentlemen know here? Let's start with men in their 20s. Very concisely, what do men in their 20s, what do they need to know in terms of their overall health? The most common killer there is accidents. So wear your seatbelts. Don't drink and drive. Make sure that you wear helmets if you're going to be on anything that has wheels and no roof. Okay. Men in their 30s, what should they know? As a physician, what do you want them to know? That's the time that you need to start your routine screenings on a regular basis. It may not be every single year, but every few years, you need to have your cholesterol and your blood sugar checked, as well as your blood pressure, and make sure that you're kind of covering all the bases. Especially if you're at high risk of heart disease, I think it's it's the best time to start your um, testing for cholesterol and probably looking at other things. Okay. Men in their 40s, what should they know? If they haven't already started, they need to start their screenings like we talked about. They need to make sure that they're seeing their doctor on a regular basis, making sure that they're watching their dietary intake, their exercise. Physical activity tends to drop off when we get busy and have kids, and they need to make sure that they're getting enough activity as well as, as getting their routine screenings like we mentioned for the 30-year-olds. Okay, and 40-year-olds, how often should they be going to the doctor? Depends on their situation. That's the problem with this is that it's not a cookie-cutter thing anymore. It used to be everybody every year. Now, if you're doing well, it can be every three to five years. If you have problems, it might be once every six months or even every three months for some folks. So men in 40s are not at that high risk of cancer. So again, the diseases which are more important at this age group is heart disease and hypertension. And if you can control these diseases early, then you'll have lesser problems down the line. So I think they should probably get essential screening and tests done for heart disease, hypertension, diabetes. Okay. And finally this morning, what about men 50 and over? Again, if you haven't started, get started. Go see your doctor. Make sure you establish where you are at a baseline. Get your cholesterol, your blood sugar, your, your blood pressure checked. I know it sounds like a broken record, but those are the big things in terms of heart disease. Uh, routine cancer screenings. Make sure you're up to date on your vaccinations. You want to make sure that you're getting your boosters for appropriate uh, illnesses. Around 60 is when a lot of that stuff's really going to escalate. So, But at over 50, we start looking at colon cancer screening as well. Colonoscopy starts at 50. We didn't even get into that in the initial discussion, but that's one for everybody, men and women both. 
And again, this morning, we're talking men's health with urologist Dr. Avi Shadana. We're also talking to Dr. Jerry Talbert. Dr. Talbert practices family medicine. Now, finally, this morning, as a physician, what advice do you offer to your patients when it comes to being proactive when it comes to their own health? The biggest thing is to know that you do have control over the situation. You're not just stuck with what you're born with. You're not just stuck with where you are. You can make an impact. And if you figure out what pieces aren't working exactly the way that they should be or that you want them to, the doctor is going to be able to help you come up with a plan for how to change that. And knowing that that there are things that you can do as an individual to make your health better is going to be the easiest and most important thing that anybody can do. Okay. Yeah. And um, the most important things which you as a as a normal person could do, you cannot change your genetics. You cannot change what's going to happen. But you can make a significant impact on your health if you exercise routinely, if you manage the weight, and if you eat healthy. And surprisingly, these things are important for everything. These are important for heart disease. These are important for stroke. And these are important for prostate. These are important for colon cancer. So it's the same diet. It's the same exercise which impacts all these diseases. So for the two of you as physicians, since we're talking about men's health, what's the most frustrating aspect of working with men on their own health? What's the most frustrating aspect for you? It's the same thing that's frustrating no matter gender or age, which is I can give you all the tools in the world, but unless you use them, the house never gets built. And as a physician, we're there to give you information. We're not there to fix your problems. That's not what we're there for. And that may be a misconception. That may be cultural. I don't know. But but we get a lot of that where folks want us to give them a pill so they get better. But that's not something that we're there for. No doctor is going to be able to do that. I wish we could. It would be awesome if we could do that. Eventually, we may get there. But right now, it requires everybody firing on all cylinders. There's There's homework that has to be done. You know, we're not the ones that are coming to your house and poking you with a sharp stick every time you eat the Twinkie. We're going to give you the tools to say, if you do these things, you will stay healthy. And and that's really what our job is. That's our role. Um, we can help. We can add medicines in, but they're spitting into the wind if you're not doing all of those other bits and pieces. Okay. Dr. Sadana? Yeah, I agree with Dr. Talbot. The most frustrating aspect is you have to take control of your health. You know, uh, nobody, it's just difficult to babysit a 50-year-old male and ensure that, you know, everything gets done properly. As a physician, you can guide your patients, you can help them with the disease, but you cannot control their diet. You cannot make them do exercise. It, it's, it comes from inside, and as a male, we have to start taking responsibility for that. All right. Well, we're out of time this morning, doctors. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Thank you. Thanks. Stick around. We'll be back with more Sunday Morning Magazine in a moment. We conquer cancer. For the mom-to-be who is out of treatment options. For the doctor who has a brilliant idea but needs research funding. For the people who faced cancer head-on and climbed incredible heights while they were with us. For the children who celebrate the end of chemo. We conquer cancer for all who have been touched by it. Conquer Cancer accelerates breakthroughs in research and care for every cancer, every patient, everywhere. Join us at conquer.org.